0: It's Friday, March 25th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you the delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. Uh, although Aaron isn't here yet. Um, he will be here soon. At the moment, we have our good friend, our uh, senior EV correspondent, Paul Breran, on here. That's How's right. it going, fellas? <laughs> that's going good. good.
1: Thank you for the uh, promotion <laughs> of senior. I don't know if that's a compliment or, or maybe not, but hey. You're
2: our senior ev field correspondent and the uh prolific and verbose tinker try extraordinaire we love you paul we're glad to have you on the show man and holy cow has there been some ev news too like a lot i have seen EV absolute ton of stuff i mean what we got f-150 specs uh there's some some strife about uh long-range batteries i think i saw i haven't been following that super close um who's the guy on twitter i know you'll know his name but kyle something or other he's been uh, around in a uh which is awesome so that was really cool he's been dropping all kinds of hot fun stuff you have been you know posting an absolute ton of uh your tesla and some long drives and some very cold weather i saw some fun pictures with iced hoods and stuff. terrifying um (laughs) gosh what else uh Lots of uh, lots of battery back and forth. Lots of stuff about charging. Um, it's it's pretty funny too. The internet seems to be um, polarized. Uh. Lots of yeah, ironically lots of stuff out about there. that. <laughs> but my goodness, uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Yep, and before no, we get totally into good. it,
0: um, I want to do this day's yesterday in tech history for the group. Oh, awesome. Uh, we only have one from uh, from uh, from the past from yesterday it was on uh, march 24th of what year fairly big release here mac os x or os 10 os x 10.00 as it's listed here in this particular article the first public version of mac os x or os 10 is released the code name for this release was cheetah although apple did not start using the code name for marketing purposes until mac os x 10.3 jaguar so what year did Mac OS X first release to the public?
2: Oh, man. I didn't, I didn't use Macs, uh, me, me neither. I remember this. Rough. So it was... It I can was tell you for accurate. sure I would have gotten this wrong. Uh, oh, man. 2012. I, so, I don't know. Interesting. Okay, so I don't think it was... I think it was earlier than that. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to say, like, I'm going to give an Unreal range, and then I'm going to have to filter it in. I want to say it was... Between, like, 05 and 08, 09-ish. And so, I don't know. Maybe I'll split the difference. So let's just go with, like, 07, 2007. Okay. So, we got a 2012.
0: We got a 2007. It's a wide gap. Right. It is wide gap. I, I think, you know what? I, I think just because, you know, I wonder if even Zook would get this correct. Because I know he's, like, <laughs> one of those, like, he's, like, an OG Mac user, right? Like, he's been using yes. that stuff since, sure. like, the 80s and never got off of it. Yep. But yeah, this this year surprises me. So Tyler, hmm. you are technically the winner, though, <laughs> though it's it's just by by a relative scale of of closeness. Uh, it was actually two thousand ninety one. Wow! 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 <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, I, I no zero credit it.
2: awarded. Uh-oh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Anyway. I think. Yeah. Wow. I think I probably would have gone into like. I think I would have gone. 07.08 time frame as well if i was guessing and even that i would have been like ooh that feels like i'm just going back further than i need to because i'm just not sure
1: that's
0: funny uh, yeah, yeah that's I, really funny. it's uh sucker's been out for or been around for quite a while uh, I, I think we're we're on a newer version now not oh, 10 wow. i think it's something else now but i'm not we just call it mac os now right i don't think the thing sits there anymore anyways yeah 01 so uh, that was surprising <laughs> Uh, it might. I mean, yeah. heck, it might as well have been like ninety nine. It was so close. I mean, March twenty fourth, two thousand one. It was within basically a year. So pretty, uh, pretty wild there. But let's see. What is the? um Do we have the first topic we want to we want to talk about? Is it EVs? Is it this uh, tweet from from Zook in here about Mr. Musk and his oh. his <laughs> insanity that's showing up on the internet? Which is it's really not insanity. It's just like a normal day for him. Um, I think. <laughs>
2: yeah. I, Man, uh-huh. I didn't, I had not seen it until uh, uh, Zook put that in the TBP chat. Um, I say we start there, but what so Elon Musk, uh, is is polling Twitter on whether or not he should start his own. No, it really wasn't. Well. It was actually just a free speech is essential to functioning democracy, but uh, it sounds like he's just taking a shot directly at Twitter.
0: Yeah, so let me see if I can draw, you know, draw a word picture here. Uh, (laughs) So his first tweet is a poll. And what the poll is, is he he states context first. Free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. I would agree with that statement. And then he asks the question for the poll. Do you believe Twitter rigorously adheres to this principle? And so there's um, it looks like uh, at the moment there is a 68 percent, 68.1 percent in favor of no Uh, And then he replies to his own tweet and says, just for clarification, essentially, the consequences of this poll will be important. Please vote carefully. So there's some form of implication that depending on how this poll turns out, which at the moment appears pretty heavily like it's going to be no because there's 900,000 votes in it. um, Yeah. He's going to do something. Which,
2: again, I I know we've talked about this before, but I feel like every time it comes up, it's worth stating that one of the tenets of free speech has to include a platform's ability to basically do what it wants with its content. (laughs) So Uh, if if it couldn't moderate its content in any way, then that would be counter to free speech which I feel like most people just don't seem to grasp. I think from my
0: perspective, if they really want it to be free speech, as in, as, as the constitution like defines and regulates yes, it, we yes, need to sell yes. it to the government. Because that's, yeah. <laughs> that's the way that it's going to then adhere to the constitution. Because that's right. what the constitution is referring to, not a private entity. Um, so, right, right uh yeah congress and i don't think people want not. that
2: i think it's literally in the words <laughs> twitter is not uh, congress oh no social media platform is congress it doesn't it, it does not
0: apply that way yes i agree with that guys we couldn't launch a website from our government for people to sign up for like home care. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, it's just, is that even important
0: just, oh man i i actually I it's funny I you can't. say that uh Speaking of, it wasn't Zook, it was uh, Bunks. He had replied to me with a book, as he often does for my homework, uh, from Andrew Yang. If you don't know this guy, he, uh, he ran for president actually in 2020. Uh, he ran for the Democratic nomination and he's kind of a scrappy player. I mean, he did much better than I think most people really thought he was going to do. And his book really just talks about his experience running for president, and that is fascinating. Um, he ran on the idea of universal basic income; that was like his shtick. Yeah, um, I've actually I've actually reached out to him to ask if uh, if he would be willing to talk with me about it because I don't actually agree necessarily with universal basic income, but I want to talk through like my thoughts and hear his back. And he just he seems like an incredibly intelligent person, and he's very well thought, you know, and yeah, yeah. he's in, well, very well spoken too. Yes. Very well spoken. So anyways, it, with that, you know, he, he talks about the process of, of going through it and it's just a fascinating thing. But one of the things I think that he brings up in his book is social media, really all types of media he talks about really in the second part of his book, which is pretty fascinating as well. It's actually disappointing. It's one of those things where you know what's happening, but whenever someone verifies what's happening for you, you're sad about it. and yeah. And it's like, it, one of his points is, is the media doesn't report the news. It's out to make the news. And it's just a it's a, it's a sombering point because I, you know, I think most people would know that. But whenever you experience it like he did, uh, it's interesting. But he talks about social media and the way things like, you know, the way things get trending and why they're important. Well, he also brought up like a paid alternative to Twitter that I can't remember the name of. I was trying to Google it before we were on here. And I it would never take off the same way in any way, shape, or form. But that's one way to like get around you know, the polarization side of, of social media is to not make it based on the incentives based on making something as polarizing. You know what I mean? Because it's not based on advertising. So that was kind yeah. of an interesting idea that he had brought up. But I just think that as far as social media goes – free speech or whatever. I think the issue is is the way the incentives work on internet business that isn't paid is really the problem. Like there needs to be a different way if if we want to fix whatever problem this is or like I said sell it to the government, which I don't think is going to is going to work. He gave some incredible examples of like I guess at one point in time a kid, like high school kid in Seattle was able to create a tracking website for Covid nineteen information before the CDC could because the CDC like there's broke and didn't work so a high school kid literally built it and it worked perfect. That's awesome. That was not a good look for technology <laughs> in, you know, in our government. So uh fascinating things. I mean, the book I'd, I'd probably recommend it. I'm not all the way through it yet. uh It's you know not not a partisan thing here by any stretch of the imagination. I know he ran for the. Democratic nomination, but I think it'd be interesting for most people who are interested to see what it's like for I'll say a relatively normal person, right? Not a career politician. He's a you know, just I mean he's he's been the CEO of company and in like a nonprofit sort of foundation sort of thing. Total several, several normie. He's not your average <laughs> dude, but he's not a dude who grew up in politics, I, all right? To I, me, I like, the way I see it is, like, I talk to Andrew Yangs, like, every day. So, to me, he seems somewhat normal. You know what I mean? And so, it's just yeah. a uh, – th- from that perspective, I think it's interesting to hear him just describe what that process looks like. And he talks about this kind of social media piece. But, yeah, uh, I think Zook's prediction is that Elon Musk might buy Twitter, um, That's which he could do as a publicly traded entity. probably could. No, uh, uh, no, he most certainly could
2: like that. That's, yep. that's with an oh, yeah. absolute no, no, no. certainty. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I don't think he owns anything that would be considered a, um, you know, an antitrust risk either. So I think he owns a rocket company and a car company, as far as I know. I think that's right. Also, I'm not even sure that matters. If an individual goes and buys it, it would be antitrust if Tesla went to go buy it and for some reason, Twitter was making electric cars, dominating the industry and making them some, some sort of super monopoly. But uh, no can't funny. an individual like Musk just go buy up what he wants? Or is that also potentially a antitrust bill? I actually don't know. I I have no idea. I suppose, suppose that regulators could look at it. It just, maybe that's odd because why it maybe doesn't come up that much.
0: Paul, you don't happen to be a lawyer as well, do
1: you? Oh heck no! Okay. Uh, well, I don't
0: think we're gonna solve this one today. <laughs>
2: Shucks!
1: Uh, it, it just uh, distractions are what worries me, right? I don't own any Tesla stock, but I can just feel for employees waking up every morning having no idea what he's gonna tweet. A lot of it's good, you know, direct product feedback, telling users when there's a mistake, uh, telling when they're coming out with a new release that addresses customer complaints. That stuff it's useful, but so much of the cringeworthy stuff has got to be really tough to stomach if you own significant stock from them or you work there. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just tough. This other stuff is just distractions. Like uh, we need to build service centers. That's way higher on my mind than all this other stuff. You know, there's practical stuff that people see. Yeah. You go off in other direction. You know, it just kind of worries you. Like. Uh, yeah. see the mission. Yeah, the mission.
2: Yeah, yeah. Why don't you focus on the ones you already have? Yeah. Um I. And they're doing well. Uh, who? Um, Chad Sackett is is quite outspoken yeah. about the issues that he's had with his Tesla in uh, his little part of Canada. And I saw that. He's had a lot of service yeah, issues, you know, things that stop working and then unavailability of service centers or, or parts. And uh, it seems to be almost a constant frustration for him, which is interesting. It's always fun the way that – because Chad's very measured in the way that he tweets that. sort of stuff out is rarely comes across as an attack, and he, he will – usually sort of uh, qualify his statements as unless I'm an outlier, this is a big problem. So well, yeah, when, when you're the nicest person on the planet,
1: <laughs> that's <Right>. <just laughs> the way you're going to frame things. publicly. <laughs> Yeah, okay. he did a good job. Yeah. He did follow exactly. it up. It did get fixed, this heat pump issue. But yeah, when you're in Canada with those temperatures, it's well, pretty that, serious if your heat pump goes. That and, was his
2: last saga. I, I saw yesterday or the day before that he had a, a new issue. And I, I forgive me, I forget what part it was that failed. But uh, he said the uh, nearest term fix is like 12 days or something like that. He yeah, four,
1: 14 days, I think, was yeah. was what it was. wasn't a good look. Cool. Well, the car industry and everyone is struggling with parts availability. I won't defend Tesla on that. I don't yeah. know that story at all. Yeah, from two yeah days day sure. day. i got to read up on that. But yes, uh, uh, lots of cars and lots of people wait a long time for repairs. But yeah, I would say in general, if you don't live, you know, less than an hour from a Tesla service center, it, it's something you need to factor in is that if you have a minor fender bender and the car needs repair and it takes them a while for parts, you might be without your car for a month or two for just a $3,000 repair, right? That's just reality. I, I wouldn't encourage otherwise. But if you need... The car that you'd sell to your mom or grandma or anyone in your family and have no fear about them charging late at night on long road trips from Connecticut to Florida or whatever, well, Tesla's still the one. The other yeah. charging networks are still catching up. So there's lots of factors. I'm uh, a realist. Yeah, it looks like. like um,
0: just so we can get this accurate, um, reading the tweet now says uh, more joy, sarcasm. Uh, he he literally wrote that. It's not me stating it. Um, with the with <laughs> the Tesla at now it's a powertrain error. Nearest service center doesn't have availability for 15 days, so it's not a fix in 14 days. It's not availability to get to look at the car for 15 days. Sheesh. Tesla investors, if I were you, I would seriously investigate quality and service issues. My experience, if not an outlier, there it is. Um, yeah. We'll kill a brand. So it's what what's interesting to me. This is <laughs> this is a, this is a weird comment on to comment on a problem because it's going to sound positive. Um, I mean, it literally says on his car, powertrain requires service. <laughs> I, you know, I, that's that's actually interesting to me because when I think of like my F one fifty, it's just like service engine light comes on, and it's like, bro, you need to figure something out. You want to to something out.
2: Better <laughs> to go to a dealer and plug something in. But you know what? That's probably a symptom of of the same stuff that we've talked about on the selling side, uh, which is that the dealerships are in this process always so even though ford may very well have onboard diagnostics that could tell you precisely what's wrong a dealer needs to plug their obd2 sensor in to tell right. you what's wrong because that's how their their ecosystem works um yeah it's there's there's i mean I won't say there's no reason I was going to. I was gonna. I was gonna be a little more extreme in this, but there. I think there are very few things that diagnostically a modern vehicle couldn't tell you out of the box about what's going sure. on. If that engine light goes on, it, there's probably a measurable, uh, you know, issue. Right, something has changed. Something probably pretty distinct, and there are unlikely to be a ton of things related to that measurement that are likely broken. Right. So uh, the only reason Ford can't tell you what's wrong with their trucks is that a dealership is in that mix and there's money to be made in my opinion and it's just one more thing that's frustrating.
1: Well, but it, it,
0: it oh leads money for the dealership directly though cuz like I would like I would go down to whatever sure. like, drivers edge Well,
2: it's, it, it's not just oh. dealerships but but dealerships a lot of people get their their vehicles um serviced at dealerships they they want uh, i guess you know, let me ask a different using ford service organization for instance yeah
0: i just let me phrase it differently i don't know that if they surfaced powertrain requires service instead of it service engine light that that changes my behavior
2: and benefits a it dealer. might not change yours but it, it would change probably a lot of people who are reasonably handy because the other problem with the service lights coming on isn't just, hey, you know, fuse blue or something. I'm, I'm being, again, sort of overly dramatic here. But if it were as simple as popping your fuse box open, a box open putting in a new fuse, it, I don't know if this is true in Tesla. Maybe you do, um, Paul. But to clear the issue, you still have to go to a dealer. Or, or to a service center. It doesn't have to be a dealer. I'm sorry, that's the wrong way to say that. But there are a lot of service engine lights maybe be shy of stuff like tire pressure, where yeah. just because you fix it, doesn't mean the light goes away. You actually have to go to a service center. They have to attach their tool and they have to clear that. And I'm sure that there are good reasons for that too, right? Like There are probably some things you don't want somebody either bypassing or you know, fixing on their own. It could be health and safety issues, right? Um, but but I think there's more to it than just you know what's what's on the surface there.
1: Well, there's three things to pick there. Um, I'll say this. Let's see. A lot of over-the-air updates don't require you know any visit, and the error would go away, right? So if you get an over-the-air update, typically they're every month or two. On my wife's car, is on the regular firmware release track, uh, the standard Range Plus, the thirty-eight thousand dollar Tesla from twenty nineteen, and then there's mine, the twenty eighteen that's on the kind of beta program where I get code more often, like twice a month. And all of those just go out to the car and once in a while, if there is some concern or whatever, it's gonna be fixing those. I've had very few updates that you know stay on my screen, actually none, I guess. And my experience is, you know, and f- gladly nothing like Chad's, which does sound, you know, more alarming, right? So we got some data there, just single data points, me and him, that's just two people. Um, I'll also say this though, in Connecticut we've had, I don't know, I think there were a hundred something thousand model threes. Now there's over a million in the world and right here in Connecticut, we still have only one service center for the whole state. Now, that's about a two-hour yeah. drive from any spot, but or uh, about an hour and a half from the worst corner of the state. That's not that bad. Look at Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont have nothing still. So Tesla has a ma- massive amount of service center scaling to do to scale with their cars. So that that's an issue. Yes. So I totally yeah, agree with that. that. That's definitely important for the adoption of cars. <laughs> and um, a couple of weeks ago in East Hartford, Connecticut was getting uh, sued by a Hoffman dealership group trying to keep sue both Tesla and the town of East Hartford from a permit to allow Tesla to have a service center. Notice I didn't say dealership, oh, it's service center. And yeah, as, right. soon it, as soon as the permit got revoked, what do you know? The lawsuit uh, was done. They just dropped it. They didn't pursue it to actually win the lawsuit. Ah. They never, they never intended probably to do that. Allegedly, right. right? But it sure looks pretty suspicious that the second, within two days of it getting what they wanted, the the permit dropped. Meaning they didn't want it on East Hartford, Connecticut. With a ton of dealerships, they did not want the Tesla brand on their street. Is what it's about. I don't think it had much to do with the law because the law allows you to open a service center in Connecticut. You just That's can't fun. sell the car here. You have to pick it up in another state. Anyhow, that stuff aside. Yes, yeah, scaling and service. Um, Nitsa. National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. NHTSA recalls. You get these goofy letters of paper in the mail two months later, or you get online in your email at 5 a.m. an automated NHTSA recall where it says something about your car and it's fixed within a week or two on the next over the air update, like some um, abrupt braking people had on the highway. Never affected me, whatever, but it certainly didn't require a visit to the Milford, Connecticut Service Center, which is a 45 minute drive for me. A non-issue, NHTSA just hasn't caught up with over the air updates. It basically says, hey, dealerships, get your customers to come in here and fix the car, didn't relate at all to um, these very minor Tesla recalls that I've experienced. I had none in the three years, and then the last two months, a couple more have cropped up. Something about a, a rear car, camera harness next time it's in the shop, fine, whatever. Uh, it's a small number of users affected. The bigger one though was the abrupt braking that affected any uh, potentially anyone in the highway. You'd lose you know, more than say five miles an hour, which I've experienced, but people were losing 10, 20 miles an hour abruptly in the highway. That's alarming. That needed to be fixed with an over the yeah, update. Sure. They had that addressed. Ninety percent of the fleet within like three days. The world's fastest recall. But that's Absolutely. not the headline on you know Reuters or whatever. You know, Tesla does the world's fastest recall with an over the update. <laughs> that's never the headline. It's always uh, it's all all million Teslas are affected and they all got to go to service centers. The yeah. not the case at all, right? So there's always more there's to a, these uh, stories. Just just be a critical reader when you read stuff on pers- Twitter. And it's yeah. an
0: interesting perspective, and and I gotta go. But it's like. When I think of, you know, my own experience with my two vehicles in my life, um, I mean, recalls happen on all vehicles, but it's like, in some respects, you know, I think of Teslas as vehicles, and this is probably wrong, but this is the way I think of it. They should have less problems because in my mind, they have less
2: parts.
0: Yeah, is that I don't accurate? They have
2: left, less well, parts, but I would guess that the parts that they have are less likely to need maintenance, or at <clears> least some throat> of throat> the things most likely to require maintenance on a traditional ICE vehicle. Um, that would that would yeah. be my gut. Uh, my guess is that they've got just as many, and possibly even more parts, but not as many of them are moving.
1: I think my answer would be there's a whole lot less parts, but you know, there's one speed transmission, for example. But here's the thing. Um, a lot of it has to do with software glitches. Hyundai Ionic, no, so that's So
0: that's what, that's what 12, 12 I was going to
1: 12-volt battery is having problems and failing within a month. So it's just growing pains from any new EV launch. And then Tesla's tried to move to a, from a 12-volt to a, a 15 or 16-volt range lithium battery that weighs like 5 pounds instead of 30 in your hand to <laughs> start the car and do remote access and all that stuff. And there's been some teething pains there that they didn't recall, but they changed the software to recalibrate. So most of the, in my case, my Honda Civics over its 16 year Honda Civic hybrid, I had so many seatbelt and airbag recalls, like lost track. I've had nothing like that in my 56,000 miles and 3.3 years of Tesla model three ownership, right? So nothing like Chad's experience that doesn't diminish what he's going through in his model wide that has a, a new technology heat pump where the growing pain is being felt there. I see this on all the EVs, almost all uh, roofs flying off of Mach-E's. There's, every launch has been marred by stuff, and yeah, I would well, encourage people to not buy one. You know, one of the first hundred thousand off the line of any company. That's still oh, true. I, uh, I,
0: sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I, I have to go, yeah. but I, as I, the point I'm trying to make is, I really don't think it's fair to point out the over-the-air update of the fastest solved recall in car history whenever the problems they're solving on recalls are dramatically different. right? Because, like, let's just say sure. there was a recall on this powertrain issue that Chad had. Can't fix that, that over the Let's air. see them do that over the air. And so yeah. that's your, that's the, that's the point that I'm seeing. System.
2: Exactly. Like, nice. if I think it's of my... But you get my point.
0: <laughs> 100%. So when I think of my two Ford F-150s, admittedly, I've only had two vehicles. I've also only, in... 20 years of driving these vehicles had two recalls one on each vehicle and so that's crazy the no, it's no. not like it's right. like I, I mean like whenever you say you know you've my had far less recall 10 yeah <laughs> i just i have i mean literally that's all that i've had so whenever i hear it's like well i had Wild. you know i've had way less than 3 years i'm like okay i i mean <laughs> it, that doesn't like to me on my personal experience once again anecdotally one person like, my vehicles haven't had these persistent issues with just their you know daily operation. And, and my trucks, by the way, are all connected to Ford Pass, which is an app that tells me if I have recalls. And I can schedule appointments to take them back. So, it's not like I'm just not getting the recalls. Like, I have a digitally connected identification system to tell me if I have a recall in my, in my truck. And so and same for my wife's um, expedition. And so, that's just, uh, I don't know. It's just an interesting piece. And maybe, you know, my vehicles have been used, and so maybe like the recalls have happened early and I've gotten them without them. But nonetheless, it's just a I just don't, you know, I it's it's not saying that it's not impressive. I just think that the problems are different, so it's kind of an apples and oranges thing with related to like the the software over the air updates one because I assume that, you know, other EVs, whether it's Ford or I don't know who all has them now, but seems like they could also do the over the air updates and have a similarly fast recall. So maybe we need to separate the like recall that is an over the air update versus a recall that is like a physical take a problem through X, Y, Z. And I see you putting stuff in the chat. I understand that there are recalls for every manufacturer out there and that they can be dramatically higher than what I've had to deal with. My point is, is like, that, you know, once again, talking to personal experiences, it's. I just think the recall in general for an over-the-air update versus like, I think one of the recalls that I had to do had something to do with the um it was with um God, what was it? It took like eight hours for them to do the thing. It had something to do with like the way, because I have you know, uh, I think they're turbos. Was that accurate in my truck? I'm not I'm not a car guy as far as like parts and stuff. There's like this fan thing that's it basically it could break over a certain amount of time that's what i had to replace in my uh f150 my current f150 and then my previous one actually had an issue with the brake line so those were like the two that i've had brake line
2: those aren't that serious
0: i didn't think it was that big <laughs> kind of a deal personally but that's that's what it was <laughs> anyways just pointing out that like while i recognize the value of it it's like i i just want to make sure we're comparing the same things but i understand once again oh. and, and we made this comment at the beginning it's like when there, people aren't trying to report the news here. They're trying to make the news. No,
1: That's yeah, why these exactly. headlines yeah. come
2: through, right? Everything's clickbait, yeah, yeah. right? No, you're right.
1: You're right, you're right. No, thank, yeah. Thanks. There, there's so much good... Yeah, yeah you gotta go. Yeah. I, okay. Sorry, but thank you. Fire good ice. points.
2: Yeah, no worries. Hey, so, Paul, uh one, one other article I read, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but um apparently uh it, it was... I don't think it was actually Tesla, if I remember the headline correctly, and I don't have it at my fingertips, so apologies there, but um lordstown motors uh they may have been Rivian, and i want to say there was a third manufacturer were um pursuing the a bill i think they they had tried to get a bill proposed in georgia to be able to sell directly to consumers without a dealership and the committee that had the bill didn't even vote on it. So they, they're set back another legislative session. Um, and I was, I was curious if you stay on top of sort of the the current, I guess, legislative motions uh, for sort of the emerging EV market. Um, because I, what yeah. I found really interesting about it was the, um, you know, that contingent of, of EV OEMs uh, they weren't trying to change how cars were sold, right? Like the bill very explicitly only applies to new vehicle manufacturers. Yep. Um, and yet it still dies in the legislature. And, and I, it's hard for me to – because I haven't followed it as closely. Do you think that that's because <clears> – <throat> I assume there's still a pretty healthy lobby against it in general, right? Like there's a potential advantage to be had there, but it also sets a precedent that over time could, you know, erode sort of the position of a dealership. Um, But yeah, what what do you know about that? And and what have you, what have you been tracking?
1: Well, just yesterday there was hearings in Connecticut about our Senate bill SB 214. So right here where I live, uh, that's been dragging on for about nine years and it made it out of committee yesterday. So way more votes for pos- uh, <laughs> yes versus no yesterday. What's it just a decade? <laughs> but, correct. But when it gets to the Senate and House to actually make, become a law, it keeps falling at the finish line or with one or two votes shy or whatever. It's just very aggravating for the uh, EV public. Wow. of Connecticut have been watching this for nine years. I've only been sort of watching it for the last two or three years, but it's very frustrating. Um, so I, I admit I was not focusing on Georgia. And there's several other states also having a similar fight, Louisiana and, and others, Michigan, as you can imagine. Um, it's tough. It's just, yeah, these dealer protection laws designed hundred years ago to say Chevy can't open a GM shop down the street <laughs> right. from a franchise owned Chevy dealer where you buy the car as a franchise owner, and then you sell it to the customer that models what it was intended for. Well, the world of direct sales, we just go to the app on your phone and you pay a certain price for a Tesla or whatever, or now, um, Polestar and Volvo getting into that. Um, Ford fighting back about dealer markups and saying their whole new division is going to be focused on EV sales. It sure looks like the industry is headed towards direct sales. It's very backwards in some states to just say, hey, stay out of our state, claiming that there'd be less jobs. But actually the states that um, allow direct sales have three times the EV adoption rate. So basically I just see it as polluting Connecticut even more, which is downwind in New York. Ah, That's an interesting take
2: on that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's not good. Direct environmental (laughs) concerns. That is curious. And yeah, it feels... I don't know. It feels very um, American politics to me, though, too, because the, the there is a an obvious vested financial interest in maintaining that model. In fact, the, the laws were basically lobbied into place for that explicit reason in the first place. This wasn't for consumers. It was for dealerships or OEMs, right? And yeah. now it, it is readily apparent that the entire ecosystem isn't really in your best interest as an individual trying to buy a car. And I I don't know that I've seen any even remotely elegant argument against that. Um, but, But people are so far removed from the normal legislative process locally or even in state government that their representation in these bodies, like they're not, they're not Doing anything that helps their people at all. It's very curious to me because it's one that just as an individual, whether you're in the market to buy an electric vehicle or not, there is no way this is anything but bad for you to not be able to do that locally, directly. And yet representative government is not voting in your interest. It's It's just fascinating to me.
1: Well, here's another thing. We have public comment. So the government is very public. It's all Zoom meetings and live streamed on YouTube. You can see it happening. And when you have public comment, you can write a letter like myself. So last year I got to read my thoughts and get them recorded for posterity. And I did the same this year in form of an email. And um, guess what? 66 members of the public all voted for direct sales. The only ones that showed up for the public meeting against it were all dealership interests. Of course. What does that tell you? Uh, So I mean, everyone I, in the public, it, all the constituents, so the voters to want this. About it. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Which which is hilarious because the people that are representing this in those state legislatures are supposed to be representing people in their constituencies. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That I mean, that's a perfect example of anyone that's paying attention to this knows this is good for them and it's what they want. But the dealers have their interests, and who keeps winning? <laughs>
1: Yep. So, I mean, look at, look at my situation. Two Tesla Model 3s replacing 15 and 14 year old Honda Civics. Okay. That means basically that dealership that's six miles away in East Hartford that didn't want Tesla opening up a service center. They're basically just, you know, trying to make my life harder where I buy the market leader. That's 80% of the EVs bought in Connecticut or Tesla. And they're just pretending, oh no, there's many more makes and models coming out. Yeah. And drips and drabs in tiny numbers. They're nowhere near Model 3 and Model Y. Not even close. Um, the top sellers. So it's, it's frustrating. They're just trying to, you know, yes, protectionism, yeah. uh, keep their, keep the revenue stream going a little longer to the detriment of the state. And here's the weird part, the National Association and NADA, whatever that stands for, dealer association, they published a study states that had direct sales versus didn't the economy, the number of jobs in the states that do allow direct sales is better. Their own lobbying entity is admitting it's better <laughs> off of the state. And the, yet, the dealerships that do these lawsuits or the or show up and do public testimony keep saying uh, something about lemon laws and other uh, diversionary tactics Jeez. from the real truth. It's not yeah. lemon laws; still protect you with a Tesla or not. So, if you as a buyer, the younger you know people in the, putting the bell forward, are like, okay, we're just talking about the customer having a choice of how they buy it. We're not talking about the dealerships. They will go to a dealership, right? That's right. So, here's a story for you. Someone's got a Ford F, uh, a Model Three in his family and a Ford F one fifty Lightning on 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 um, reservation. I guess I won't say where, but um yeah, when the time came when he was really early online and ordered I think within hours of the F150 Lightning pre-orders. He was told, I think at $10,000 some crazy markup if he wants an earlier place in line.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, how yeah, does, yeah. How
1: does he feel about the dealership model? Not great. Whereas his Tesla Model 3, he paid a price on the order on the app and went and picked it up in Mount Kisco, New York at a certain price. There was no haggling, none of that. So it's just so silly. I'm sorry, but there's so much good focus it stuff is, to focus is. on. Maybe we could pivot oh, over yeah, to that. yeah, like, yeah, no, Super yeah. Super
2: I mean, that, it, there there is definitely yep. um, uh, uh, fun side. So more so choices. Get away from the aggravating political side yeah. of how we all of this.
1: <laughs> if you don't, if you don't mind, like Super Bowl was a big deal for me, yeah, right? For sure. Seeing the amount of money pumped into that. Yeah. So that's just awesome. EV after EV, the general public finally awesome. getting it, and, and that was on the heels of my mom telling me about a, a family friend who said something about a. Yeah, Chevy Bolt got bought back on the you know, battery fire program. Now, mind you, EVs are still way less likely to catch fire than gas cars. And I've got some stats for <laughs> you there. Um, but anyhow, anyway, so, 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 so I think my mom asked something like, oh, you got the money back from GM. What do you, are you thinking of buying a Tesla or something? She goes, oh, no, I'm looking for an American car. Now, my heart sinks to hear that. It's just bizarre <laughs> uh, be- because what, the most American car, car ever is made. more
2: American than Tesla.
1: The Tesla Model 3 is the most American car. Notice I didn't say the Actually. most most American EV. I said the most American car manufactured Star, in Fremont, California, yes. is, is the Model theory. 3. And now they're pumping Model Ys out of Texas, a new factory that just opened. Yeah, uh, right. Opened. Maybe, yeah, the just, that so, he, so it just brings me back to earth that so much of the general public, including some people listening to this podcast, just have you know just don't know and don't follow it at all. It's fine. Well, now they're but, more wow. informed.
2: That's why we do. Yeah, this.
1: that's what the Super Bowl is about: pumping that money to see a Honda Ioniq in there and Polestar taking a little stab at Elon and, and Twitter. I think that was great. <laughs> it's just, just it was fun to watch. Like, all right, cool. You're trying to appeal to all different sorts of buyers, and some of them were more savvy than others about the way they're trying to appeal to, to buyers. But either way, it's all good to see that. Now, the reality, though, bringing it back down to earth: only nine percent of passenger car sales in the U.S. Uh, sorry, in the globally, are EVs only. Six percent in the U.S. and um, of those, sixty percent is Tesla. So that which is the company not advertising Super Bowl or anywhere. So it's interesting that back to Earth here, let's contrast that with Europe, where seventy-seven point five percent of cars are EVs in Norway. Oh wow! So we have a long way. Oh yeah, yeah. Norway and China China too
2: you know, sort of uh, um, subsidizing EVs for quite yep. some time. I, I remember even when I was in, in Norway visiting, that would have been what, 2012, 2013 timeframe. Um, yep. One, one yep. of the biggest expenses for owning a vehicle in Norway is the, uh, you know, basically parking fees for, for Oslo, right? And um, I, my understanding was that they actually had uh, programs that said if you had an EV, then you, you did not have to pay those parking fees. So Oslo oh, yeah. residents were actually ordering EVs from literally anywhere because that was such a significant financial benefit, um, which oh, I yeah. found very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, same with people who live anywhere near London. They could see the writing on the wall. If they buy a gas car now, they sure as heck aren't going to be driving into the inner core of the city very often, if ever, because wow. the there's so, lots of things you can do with law that are tools, right? Yeah, so, of course. Yeah, it's an option. But anyhow, uh, back to the American thing. It's funny, too. The Tesla Model 3, number one. Number two, Ford Mustang. Notice this is a Ford Mustang, though. Not Ford Mustang mach which is made in Mexico at a lot of police departments. Oh,
2: that's hilarious. That
1: strange, right? Yeah, I actually Model- had forgotten
2: that. I'd seen that announcement. Yep. I've seen those, those uh, headlines. That's, that's okay.
1: curious. Going down the fun <laughs> list of most American cars, Model Y is third, Jeep Cherokee fourth, Chevy Corvette fifth and then six seven eight nine ten uh six seven eight nine is Honda's and then finally Toyota hilarious list it's just weird that is
2: Notice that
1: now. is a really so, funny list but anyhow it, it doesn't even doesn't matter that much. All these parts have, all these cars are different components from all over the world. Some people really don't care about that, and, and I get it. So it's just one little factor. But I just found it funny that someone who drove a bolt and knows all about it had no idea where the heck a Tesla is made, and that's just <laughs> so never mind. People who don't own an electric, how little they really probably know about where right? it's or even care, maybe yep. that's okay. Whatever. Sure. All right. Mo- yeah. Moving along, though, some of the the ads, you know, I said are fun, and then that's just gets mind share going. Then you got the direct sales stuff. We we covered that. Then you've got um, GM. <laughs> so you've got uh, Kyle Connor coming from Colorado, the guy I met, who's a very active YouTuber showing off the riveting that he's been had. He drove 2,000 miles in a few days. Know, or does that do so road trip? I think
2: he it's three. Is, I, saw, I saw a video late yesterday
1: where he said huh? he's already got over 3,000
2: miles on it. He's just uh, hasn't finished posting all of the Correct. long stuff. He was, that's crazy.
1: And he has, he's found that Electrify America, who the, he interviewed on in, Inside EV. is a podcast he's affiliated with but doesn't run. He interviewed Electrify America and tried to peg them about pull-through charging for trailer vehicles mm-hmm. um, and stuff cool. like that. He, he didn't actually ask that question. Near dear to my about, heart now. <laughs> yep, and charge, charging speed um, yep. is another one. And yeah, um, one. he found that Electrify America, it's got some limits on charging speed. Some of them are artificially capped. The charger itself is capable of more, but the power line coming into the center is not, and that's not publicized yeah. on the sticker anymore. Anyway. Okay. He will find sure. that. And in a it matters. If it's 25 right? minutes versus 45 minutes versus an hour and a half, you bet someone well, like him's going to notice when he's road tripping 2,000 saw, miles. So, he
2: yeah. had a tweet yesterday where he, he uh, had the... Um, I don't know what you'd call it. The console, uh, it looked like of the the sort of battery status. And I don't know if that was in the vehicle or if it was on the stand. I'm guessing it was in the vehicle, but he plugged it in and he just made a couple of comments. He really didn't put a lot of detail there, but Twitter was just aflame arguing about what he was saying, which I found really funny. Um, yeah. There were people that were like, he didn't say anything about kilowatt hours, which is funny because it had the amperage and the voltage right there on the screen. That's Like, <laughs> That's just but, like Then you just need hours. So take your yep. time. But uh, yep. yeah, no, no, it was, it was interesting, but I, I didn't realize how hotly contested it was, nor had I really been close to the, um, I guess, the limitations of some of the charging networks with that specific topic in mind. Like. We, we have, you, myself, and, and you, and on this podcast, we've talked about the, the charging networks and how dramatically different sort of the Charge America ecosystem is right now versus where it needs to be compared to like Tesla's supercharger network. But like getting to see some of these details sort of come out has been very, very fun for me.
1: Yeah, to give an idea here, to bring it home. Kyle's dad is uh, from Connecticut. He visited him recently, picked up an Attic 5, and I got to meet him. So it was awesome to meet a, a popular young YouTuber who puts our content like in a Rivian. Hey, EV Go, I charge faster than Electrify America. That's a great way to call it the company. Here's the reality with the Rivian, I'm the first, one of the first in the world to actually test long road tripping. Someone replies to his tweet Yeah, and the EV goes here in Massachusetts are over 50 kilowatts. So what does that mean? Well, they're 250 kilowatts when I charge my Tesla to supercharger in Massachusetts when I visit mm-hmm. there. So, that's a huge difference in charging time. So, I mean, yeah, it it's, is. Just great, it's great to see a young tuber who's influential and fun to watch. You know, just he's more relevant than, say, consumer reports for anyone probably above 40 in age. So, that's fine. Whatever. It's it's good. He, he puts yeah. out the data, puts out the screenshots, shows videos live streaming how long it takes to charge and drive and all that. Just great. So, Rivian getting pushed to the wall of about 300 miles, by the way. But when you tow, it can easily be heft. That's the conversation you yeah. you and I have been having with with Aaron and Russ. and. Yeah, we're a ways off from um, people that need to trailer and have pull-through trailing.
2: Uh, battery tech. Charging. We they need worry. better yep. battery tech. And and, and honestly, I mean, I for me, the crux of so much of this falls to the batteries. Now, I, I do understand that the charging network also has to be more robust, but the battery technology is obviously going to increase mileage because if weight goes down, you know, they have less of an impact on mileage Then you've also got you know capacities the density of the energy that they can store as that goes up you get to go further potentially in the same weight package and then batteries themselves have a lot to do with how quickly you can charge as well now that doesn't sound like our limitations today are the batteries uh in a lot of places it sounds like the charging network is actually the <laughs> long pole in the tent there which is interesting but well
1: a little more to it let's get into uh, batteries this, this is fun um so you get gm's approach Let's talk about that. Instead of a ground up approach, they just stuck a big battery in a Hummer basically and made it very heavy, <laughs> all right? So what's the least amount of effort a company like GM who was actively lobbying against EVs just three, four years ago, right? What's the least effort they can do? Kind of like Toyota who's also actively lobbying against EVs only two, three years ago. Um, what do you do? Well, you just put something in the market that has low volumes to try to grab the headlines. Like, yeah, here's what we're doing. We come up with the EV uh, electric Hummer, the least efficient. Monster, you can imagine. Walk. So, crab walk. Yeah, you market that. Cool. <laughs> this thing is nine thousand sixty-three pounds. It gets the equivalent of forty-seven miles per gallon, which sounds sounds good at face face miles per gallon equivalent (MPGE), uh-huh, which gives yeah. you some clue of what you know the economy of driving it with three twenty-nine miles range. Oh, okay. But guess what? The battery pack is two hundred twelve kilowatt hours. So I'll get into what that means in a minute. You already hinted at it, and the battery pack alone weighs more than a Honda Civic at twenty. No, uh, yeah. Honda Civic. Two thousand nine hundred twenty-three pounds just a battery pack. So it's like you're driving a you're driving a Hummer gas car with a battery. You took out the engines, so you saved some weight there, a uh, thousand sure. pounds, but then you added three thousand battery, roughly. All right. <laughs> right. Let, let's contrast that from a ground up approach, like a, a Tesla Model Three, where why am I bringing that up? Because like you said, I published an extensive article and video, half hour long, snow driving, and then five hour five days later. Um, 55 degree Fahrenheit. So we went from 23 Fahrenheit and 32 Fahrenheit, two trips to Boston, all the way to 78 degrees Fahrenheit in Manhattan, where I exceeded my range estimates. And yeah, I put the dollars and cents right there in the video at the top of the little thumbnail, hundred miles per gallon, $17 electricity for each two 10 mile round trip to Boston with family and some snow, pretty heavy snow at that. So it's about the worst conditions, wind, snow, slush up and down hills. Not great for mileage, but still gives you a sense of what it actually costs. To try to educate folks on what we're actually talking about. Kilowatt hours, how big a battery, nobody knows, nobody cares, right? But numbers, yeah. uh, hopefully, more effective. And then another trip into New York yeah, City sure. that's much warmer, I got the equivalent of 147 miles per gallon, and that's nice. $13 of electricity. So, yeah, I spent $17 yeah, in winter for 210. It, it's a little different, and one's New York, one's Boston, I don't equidistant from both, roughly. And the sure. weather was different, but it gives a sense of what we're talking about. So Let's see what that means compared to a Hummer, for example. My battery pack is 75 kilowatts. Okay. So versus the Hummer's um, much larger uh, number that I mentioned, yeah, 212. Would you say yep.
2: 215, 212. Yeah.
1: Correct. So that means an overnight charge in my house takes about eight hours with a reasonable 40 amp um, charger on <laughs> a 50 amp circuit, which is what a NEMA 1450, basically what looks like a dryer olive. You have an electrician putting in your yeah, garage for about 500 to a $1,000. For, $1, 000, upon for how far your local
2: going. me, because yeah. I'm totally going to do that myself.
1: Correct. So that's what a car like mine that has 300 miles range, 310 miles range roughly, to fill it overnight from zero to 100, which never happens. It's usually five or six hours to fully charge from like 10, 20% up to 80, 90%. I don't, you know, that's fine. That's $13 of electricity to totally fill my tank. GM, it's going to take 24 hours and uh, 48, where I did the math last night, where is it? 48 or something for, for the money. So yeah, it, it, it matters. <laughs> the efficiency yeah, of the yeah, vehicle, no, the aerodynamics, really the side view oh, mirrors, yeah. all of it matter in an electric car it, greatly. Because a gas car, only 30% of your electric, your gas, sorry, burnt, that was extracted from the earth, only like 30% energy makes it into forward motion near your wheels. There's so much in the transport and refining and getting it to your garage and pumping in your car and, and then finally moving. So much of it is wasted as heat on the brakes and heat under the hood. Tesla, none of that. My hood is cold with ice all over it, as you saw in the winter yeah um yep um that's interesting right because the motor's down low the motor does have some heat but it's nowhere near the hood it's way down oh, sure yeah
2: no it's, Absolute, it's also yeah, yeah. like a, an internal combustion exactly
1: engine, and, sure. and guess what it does it siphons off that heat to keep heat me in the cabin and there's no yeah, there's carbon dioxide right. to worry about piping that in right Yep, pretty right. awesome it just makes sense it's Better. way more efficient but it means well, the size mirrors and my tires matter the fiber doesn't yeah. matter Versus yeah. a gas car, you barely notice because it's so inefficient in the first place. So I'll leave it. At, just let you think <laughs> about that, right? So it's great. kind of a big deal. I'm, I'm excited. That, you yeah. Know, to your
2: point about building from the ground up and doing this stuff, it, it's it's obvious. I think uh, your your illustration about the Hummer EV is is on point because I would love now because I have a vested interest in in a vehicle that can pull a really heavy trailer. I mean, I got a seventeen thousand five hundred pound gross vehicle weight fifth wheel. Right. I I can't tow it in my Ford Focus. I couldn't realistically tow it in an f-150 whether it was electric or not right so i am keenly yeah, it's higher than the lightning. Yep. in having a, an ev in my life and, and at this point i knew i was getting a truck as my next car anyways because i just abuse the bed of vehicles um and so i want you know big open i'm gonna go get a yard of dirt when i want a yard of dirt kind of kind of person and i've got some land so that's what i do with it but um I I would love to see the Super Duty equivalent, your three-quarter ton, one-ton trucks built from the ground up with, I I mean, maybe it is a 215 kilowatt uh, battery, but to have a battery that large and to make it efficient and useful, it's got to charge fast, which means the network's got to get upgraded and the batteries have to be able to handle a massive influx, but that that's a non-trivial problem because yeah on the road your, and, at home right in your house is no big exactly. deal. But if you're going to try to do a two or a 400 amp circuit, like that's how houses are built, right? Your your, your curb amperage is usually 200 amps in the United States. In any, well, I mean, it depends on where you are, obviously. Um, the age of house is going to impact that too. But but those those are big deals. So it's really cool that we're getting there. But there are still lots of problems to fix to get to the point where we have a super duty equivalent truck that can tow a trailer realistically across the United States without having to stop for 24 hours to charge at a rest station. So.
1: Yeah. So, so Ford F-150 Lightning to give folks, listeners perspective that are into trucks, 7,700 pounds towing capacity on one side, but another saying 10,000, not sure which, yeah. I think it's 10,000, um, cyber 14,000 pounds. So a bit higher because, you know, ground up approach, skeleton body. Basically it's a giant battery pack, which is also a structural member. Those are those new cells, those, um, yeah, New larger cells that look like kind of like mini beer cans. Uh, um, they're part of the structure of the body, and those are what will be coming out of the Tesla Texas factory, right? So almost every pound, they can shave off that thing they're putting into yeah. the battery pack, I'm, right? I'm curious. It's a see different see, approach the, than a body-on-frame
2: You know, the Cybertruck, uh, obviously, they went from a tri-motor as the top end to a quad motor. That sounded yeah. like it was more marketing and competition-driven. But I exactly. am curious. Yeah. To see if it changes the tow ratings it has not yet they have not updated that at all and there are oh, lots of watching, other things yeah. just the powertrain that might increase that number you know like you said it their structural the battery is part of the structure of the the vehicle that might stop it from being able to jack that number higher but it's feasible that they could actually tow more from a powertrain perspective assuming that that was going to pull, which i'm actually doubtful that it is but i'm excited to see where that goes so anyways paul Stay. i gotta drop i got a hard stop oh, right now Uh, But we'll have to have you back on because there's obviously lots and lots to talk about in the EB space. But that brings another Tech Breakfast podcast to a close. Y'all, thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed all of Paul's knowledge. I certainly did. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Have a great weekend, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.